0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com/giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning we are wrapping up on our Reformation series. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with us over into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to be on the screen as well. But this is one of the last great sola that comes out of the Reformation, and it's sola deo gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. Uh, all things have to be done to the glory of God alone because salvation is of God. It's from Him, and we've been, uh, that's been accomplished by Him. It's by God's glory that uh, we also must glorify Him as well. So we must live our entire lives before the face of God under His authority, uh, but also for the glory of God. In First Corinthians uh, chapter six, verse ten, it says these words: The Apostle Paul says, "Glorify God in our bodies." And then he says later on in First Corinthians ten. Verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we're about should be to bring credit and praise to God who is our creator. We know that sola deo gloria means that the sovereign God of the universe alone gets the fame. So, and I use that word fame because the original the, uh, in the original word doxa in uh, Greek uh, has a three, you could translate it three ways. You could say glory, you could say honor, or fame. And I know in the Old Testament there's another word for that, but God is clear that He will not give His fame to anyone else. The Reformers taught that life must not be divided between the secular and the sacred, So all of our life, in other words, must be under the lordship of Christ, and every activity that we are involved in as followers of Christ should be set apart to God's glory. We have to be careful, especially for us in the Western world, we like to compartmentalize, don't we? We like to put this thing here and that thing there, but we have to realize that life in Christ is different than that because in everything we do, we're here to give God glory, the church before the Reformation had separated life into two separate things. They uh, viewed it as uh, things that were sacred or holy like in the Old Testament times where there were some very specific rules in, uh, in the Scripture and uh, the then they have this idea of the secular which were things that were not, they considered non-holy things or just regular things. The problem here is that if you're dealing with something secular, believers would take the idea that, well, it's just a secular thing. It doesn't really matter. It's not a holy thing. So I could do however I want to do with that. It it's, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, but in, in, they can have this in mind. Well, in church, I have to mind my business. But when I'm on the job or when I'm in school, it doesn't really matter what I do. And that's kind of what happens. And the reality is... Because we're followers of Christ, whether we're in the serv- in services uh, together or we're in our community, working or serving, we still have to have the same way about us. The composer uh, Johann Bach uh, was a man who took uh, Hebrews 13, 16 very seriously. That scripture says, it says, "...and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased." He considered his life's calling was writing music for the glory of God. And Bach believed, uh, he believed along with the reformers, that the performance of any God-giving or God-pleasing vocation or job was glorifying to God. And fueled by his faith, Bach devoted his life to creating music for refreshment, proclamation or preaching, and for praise and mainly for the church. He was born 150 years after Luther, and Bach was a son of the Reformation. He was devoted to Christ. He was a firm believer in the Sola of the Reformation, and Sola Deo Gloria was one of the most significant of the five to him. He wrote over 10,000 pages of music in his career as a a church musician. That's amazing. At the beginning of most of his music were the initials J.J., and that stood for Yesu Juvia, I'm guessing, I don't know if I'll say it right, but what it means is, Jesus help me. At the bottom of every page were the letters SDG, Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And the passage that we're looking at today uh, is uh, one that should remind us that our lives should never be about us or me first. Your life must be about seeking the fame for the Lord or glory to God and then also for the good of others around us. So our first point this morning as we get ready to read this chapter in, uh, in Paul's writing here is you have freedom in Christ within limits. You have freedom in Christ within limits. Now let's look here in verse 23 of chapter 10 and he says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit and explain that because we see that he's talking about the meat market. We say, "What in our day and time, we don't think anything about it. But you have the right as a follower of Jesus to do many things, but they may or may not be beneficial or constructive. We have many options in front of us in this life, and there are things that aren't all that great in the end. And it's kind of like when my dad would tell me when I was a kid and I was getting on his last nerve, and I think I must have been standing like this on it, I don't know, uh, but he would say things like, go play in the street. <laughs> now, uh, he would, if he was here, he'd probably tell you that is true. The funny thing was, is we were on the farm, we had a gravel road in front of our house and there were not many cars. In fact, the gravel road ended at our house driveway. So, because of that, we didn't have a lot of cars, but the other thing was, is it would, uh, it would not have been beneficial or constructive for us as kids to go out there and play in the street. Uh, we had the ability, we had the freedom to do it, to play out there, yet it still didn't mean that it was the best choice on our, lot, on our side. So now we knew what dad meant. He was basically saying, you guys are driving me crazy. Get out of my hair. He didn't have enough hair to do that, so he said, go play in the street. I'm in trouble now. So Paul says, Paul says in verse 24, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. He is attempting to direct us to consider other people over ourselves, and we're called to benefit others even more than ourselves. In other words, we need to show care towards others if we know them or if we don't know them. It may be opening the door for somebody with their hands full of kids uh, or maybe somebody with a walker. And even though it's going to make you late for a meeting, you go ahead and do it. Paul's subject includes Christ's followers and their freedom and the limits that come along with that freedom, but the way he illustrates it is by something that the Corinthian people would have been very, very familiar with. He says, "'Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. "'For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it.'" Now, the word "makellon," uh, which is Greek for uh, meat market, uh, has interesting connections there in Corinth. So we find that near the uh, Lechem Road, the, the paved foot road that was leading north of Corinth toward the western part of Lechem, they have uh, dug up a commercial site. Uh, they dug this up, they excavated it, and they went through it. And the building has been, uh, has a paved court that was surrounded by colonnades, and there were small shops around this place. And in the pavement in one of the uh, shops they found a marble slab and on the marble slab this inscription has been found that where they they viewed it as it was in Latin and it was this micheleon from verse 25 saying that it was a meat market there. But some say that meat, word meat market comes from the Greek and that has been found on buildings from in another town back 400 B.C., and so even the food market at Pompeii, remember Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius exploded, they just had the, the uh, big, uh, the big uh, exhibit over in Kansas City, uh, well, I think it was at the beginning of the year, January or something like that, where they had uh, all of these artifacts from over there. But at Pompeii, they used that same word, where they had an imperial worship center where they would worship false gods. And uh, they had a special room that was set aside so that that was where they uh, had the sacrificial food and they would sell that sacrificial food uh, that was sacrificed to idols. So Paul says on one hand, don't worry about it if you eat it because everything is the Lord's. Interesting he's saying this. He doesn't leave it there though and he talked about the issue of eating this kind of food. He's already talked about it. Before, when he said it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, which should be up on the screen for you, it says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. We know about it. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. And But whoever loves God is known by God. He was saying here... You you know very well that uh, idols are really not anything. They're really not an issue. There's only one God, and uh, so it's not really an issue. So technically, it isn't wrong to eat that food that was uh, sacrificed to idols. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. But he's also saying the problem is, is your knowledge of this, that if you don't act with love... Towards others that are around you, whether they're believers or not believers, it can hurt others. So he says, Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. In other words, it can make us arrogant just simply because we know. So if it isn't an issue, who cares about it? Others may say it. Well, we have to act in love. And we're gonna look at the next point here as we look into the next portion of this scripture. You have freedom, you have freedom, but you have to respect others' conscience. And this is really a challenging passage, but it also relates not only to idol worship, but to many different things that we can relate this truth to our lives in so many different ways. Look at what he says here in verse 27. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising uh, questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. So, I mean, if we wanted to relate this directly to us today as followers of Jesus in the world that we live in, we know that there are those still out there that do sacrifice to idols. Here in Kansas, they still do it. We know it. There are many different ones. If you're very aware of it, we we know of those that are Hindu who still serve 330 million gods. We know there are other other groups and other religions that still do those kind of things, and so we could use this and, and actually apply it appropriately uh, to this world in Kansas with those situations. But let's look at this passage here. At first glance, it seems that Paul is saying that as long as it doesn't go against your own personal, personal conscience, but you need to really look again at what he's saying, He's saying in verse 29 that he is referring to the other person's conscience. The word conscience simply refers to your sense of right and wrong. Notice it's an unbeliever who actually invites them to the meal. It wasn't a believer. So Paul seems to approve of them, uh, of the believers joining this unbeliever at at his house for dinner. Uh, possibly they're giving their testimony of what Christ has done in their life. We don't really know. And if the dinner, if the dinner, at the dinner, someone, likely a fellow believer, points out that the meat was offered to an idol, then the believer is to refrain from eating the meat. He's saying it's not that it's going to bother you. But the reason for this is that he does not want his freedom as a follower of Jesus. Uh, to uh, affect could cause him to be condemned by another man's conscience look at what he says in verse uh, uh, 4 of chapter 8 he says uh, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no god but one deuteronomy 8 6 the shema hero israel the lord our god is one god there's only one God. Anything after that is not a God. That's what he's saying. That's what the Word tells us. Verse 29 says, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours, for why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with uh, thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. What's happening here? But Paul asked why he uh, should be condemned for eating something uh, in the meal that he could really thank God for. Well, as backwards as it sounds, the strong brother has the power to protect his right to eat meat by not by eating that food, by not eating meat in that case or that food in that case. Ultimately, the, bro- the brother who may be called weaker is the one who sees it as wrong. And must be respected by the so-called stronger brother who may view it as no big deal. So really it comes down to attitude. So if we are, if we're going to eat, we need to make sure that our attitude doesn't get in the way of the other person that's around us. So the one who views it as fine needs to have a good attitude toward the one who sees it as wrong and vice versa. Now, there are things that the scripture tells us that are absolutely wrong, and we're aware of that. Some, there are some things that's very specific. But Paul says, uh, is saying here that there isn't an absolute except that you should absolutely respect the other person's conscience by abstaining from eating. So, in everything we do, whatever we do in this life, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's at school or any other venue, we need to give God glory. No matter how we are living, we need to give God glory and do it in a way that's appropriate in His eyes. Third, we have this. You have freedom, but don't trip someone with your freedom. We as followers of Jesus have freedom, but don't trip someone with your freedom. So look at what he says here in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. So Paul has has some very powerful words here. Paul comes to the point that Sure, you can really eat uh, any food or drink that's been sacrificed to idols, but that's not really the issue. We still can relate that today. Uh, When I lived in West Africa, we had to relate that uh, to them. But the issue rises up that just because it's okay to eat does not mean you really should. So we like our rights, don't we, as, uh, as Americans, especially in the Western world, but even though we have freedom... And the rights of that freedom does not mean that we should take advantage of it. Even as followers of Jesus, we have rights according to what the Scripture is showing us. Now, we could throw another example. There, We could pull a lot of examples, but this one is an easy example. It would be considered alcohol, and the Scripture says many things about it. Uh, we know that. Proverbs even says, and uh, I think it's King James Version, it says, wine is a, a mocker and beer is a brawler. Uh usually you can put those things together and know what he's saying there, but usually wine was used in the New Testament times. It was cut down in the water uh, with water to some level and the alcohol content was very low. Uh doesn't mean that people didn't drink too much at times and then get drunk. The scripture it would talk about that and culture would say that. They didn't have refrigeration at that time, so it caused some issues for them. But alcohol in itself is not the problem, but the Scripture does say that it's wrong to become drunk. That's one of those things, and uh, the Scripture is pretty plain about. But the person, that person loses their inhibitions, and then they do things that may harm themselves or harm someone else. I was at the hospital yesterday with a family member as they spoke to me and told me about a friend of theirs, a friend of their son who had taken his life here recently. Very sad situation. And uh, from what I understand from them, part of the issue was is there was alcohol involved in that too. So inhibitions are removed. Now the principle that Paul is giving us here is that just because uh, some may think that they have freedom with alcohol doesn't mean that they should. Why? Because it may genuinely cause someone else to stumble. You may have freedom to eat or drink, but, but don't trip somebody simply because you, have, you may have freedom and, and you may have a fellow believer who is addicted and has overcome their addiction and now they see you drinking because uh, you feel free to do so and now they stumble and take a drink and then they spiral into addiction again. So do whatever you do for the glory of God. However you live, live in such a way that you bless the Lord and bless others around you in this life that you live out. Live in a way that your life builds up others. I think for each and every one of us, that should be something that we leave the house thinking, how can I bless somebody else? What can I do to help somebody else today? And if we don't think of that right away because we haven't had enough coffee... Maybe while while you're driving to work or or getting out and and as that coffee starts kicking in, maybe you'll think of it then and say, you know, what can I do to help somebody today? Look at what Paul says in verse 32 here. He says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please uh, everyone in every way. Now, the American way is, uh, is to say, I will use my rights since they're my rights, and it really doesn't matter what others think as to what I do. Well, yes, Paul says it doesn't matter to some level. But notice this verse in 32 and 33, he, he says some things. He doesn't include only the church of God, and I find that very interesting he also includes the Jewish people around them and the Greeks around them. And so that really is a tall order in the Apostle Paul's day to try to make sure that he's not offending them, causing them to stumble and not causing others to stumble. In some sense, he's saying, I don't want to cause these people to stumble and then them not come to the church church and and become saved and get to know God themselves. He's concerned about them have, knowing who Christ is and not becoming a stumbling block. None of us want to become a stumbling block to those that are around us. So it would have been much different for Paul and the Corinthians as compared to us, but in some ways, in the sense of uh, these sacrifices and things, to a level. But in many ways, there's still a lot of similarities to us. He says that he tries to please everyone. That is a tall order. You can't please everyone, can you? But he tried. He did his best to do it. In fact, we know that Paul couldn't please everyone, but he, he, uh, he went to prison for years over some of it because he ended, and he ended up appealing to Caesar or like us, it would be our Supreme Court. And sure, there are times that he used his rights, like the time he made that formal appeal to Caesar. And when he was, when he, then there was another time when he had been beaten and he reminded the officers, you know, you guys didn't give me due process and you beat me and I'm a Roman citizen and I'm sure their mouths dropped wide open. They were afraid because they had withheld his due process. So, sure, there were times that he knew what his rights were and he did, and he used those at times. But Paul was familiar with them, but when it comes to these freedoms that may have spiritual and eternal consequences, he was very careful. He knew that it was to destroy, if it was going to destroy other people, And uh, he didn't want to be a part of that. And so he we know he had already had a past, didn't he? He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was there. We know that he was sent out and he was going to arrest uh, believers before he came to Christ. We know he has been through those things. But in the last verse, he says this, For I am not seeking my own good but the good of many so that they may be saved. That was his concern. Paul was telling the Corinthians that, and even to us today uh, that how we live can have an effect on others and since it does affect others, like it or not, we need to do our best to work for the good of others around us. Uh, we seek our own, uh, our own good for our lives. If we do that, then we are going to live very small and exclusive lives. Yet if we live for the good of others' lives, then we can explode with the grace of God that has been given to us. And that's a wonderful thing. We can u- use that grace. And, And share that grace with those around us because Christ has done something in our lives and we have left the door open not for them to stumble over us, but that they can come in to the family of God. So Paul was telling the Corinthians and even us today that we need to be able to live in a way that brings others hope. We become those givers of hope. We become people who glorify God in everything we do and every place we go. Paul also said over in Colossians chapter 3 verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Do you realize who he was speaking about in that con, or who he's speaking to in that context? He was speaking to Romans who were slaves at that point, but they were followers of Jesus. And he was not saying whether slavery was wrong or right at that point. What he was trying to do was to help them to be able to focus on the best avenue for them to go as they were under masters and they needed to be able to keep a right perspective. So they would have lacked uh, some of the traditional rights as uh, the citizens of the time, yet Paul tells them that whatever you do, do it with all your heart. The closest we can uh, connect to that today is probably an employee. it's not quite the same, of course, because the uh, rules are different. but as an employee it, it, one, some of the things uh, usually you get when you get a job, uh, the guy looks at you or the gal looks at you and they say, "Hey, we want you to do this job and and uh, they say here is um, here's your job description. It may be written, it may just be verbal." And they say, Okay, we want you to sweep the floors, we want you to clean the curtains, we want you to uh sweep the walk uh and do these kind of things. Uh they want you to like when I was a kid when I was a youth and I started working at the meat market thing, they uh, they said you gotta clean out the grinder, wash these ditches, dishes and uh, and all those kind of things. But the thing was as you shake the hand of that boss or that business owner. And you make an agreement to do it, right? And then all of a sudden, they change something on you. You come in to work one day and they say, well, hey, we need you to do this. We need you to run over here and take care of this business for us. And then you say, wait a second, that's not my job. Well, always kind of forget that last line in the job description, right? And usually that last line says something to the effect of, and any other jobs or... uh, work that the boss says, I want you to do. Now, that's not worded very nice. It's usually worded very nice. And then you step back and say, oh, wait, I forgot about that. (laughs) And so what it requires of that that person, that employee, is to be able to step back and say, okay, they're asking me to do this, so what am I going to do? As a follower of Jesus, what's our responsibility to do? As long as it's not against the Word of God... It's it's uh, it's we're supposed to do it right, but the good thing is is we're supposed to do it without complaining, without grumbling, right? What we want to be a good witness to those that we work with, we want to be a positive witness to them because we are followers of Jesus, and in everything we do, we want to bring glory to the Lord. So if it's at at our job, or if it's our school, or if it's in the community, whatever we're doing, we want to bring glory to God. Too many times people say, that's not my job. (laughs) But it gives us an opportunity, doesn't it, to be able to go beyond and to glorify God. It's at that place where the employee, especially if they're a follower of Jesus, I needs to get that scripture. I don't know. I remember when I first started out as a, uh, as a diesel technician in Kansas City, we would get some interesting jobs. Uh, one of those interesting jobs would be working on the garbage trucks, right? Yeah, I'll just leave it there. Well, I'll say one little step further. Usually what we did is we requested that they would clean the thing before they brought it in. But there were a few times that a clutch would go out or something like that. It was immobile. An engine would go out and they would bring it to us. Most of the time, the foreman would fight for us and say, get that thing out of here. Nowadays, they can say, that's a biological hazard, no big deal. Otherwise, uh, we would have to get up underneath that thing and do some repairs to that, which it wouldn't be all that lovely, by the way. And we had to make sure that we didn't complain, right? Do everything that you do to the glory of God, no matter how rough it is, no matter how good it is, and no matter how much you enjoy it. If you enjoy the thing, do what you do for the glory of God. Lift His name up by your work and be a good example to those around you. And then maybe they'll look back and say, there was something different about that person. There was something different. I remember I took a job at one point. I was working at a shop, and um, and this one gentleman, I was I was careful. I tried to be wise about how I uh, witnessed to people in the workplace. And uh, one of the things that I, I did at this place is I wasn't real verbal about my faith in the beginning. And you say, well, pastor, how can you be like that? There's a reason why. I've seen too many things. I know that when people know that you're a pastor, they change their aura. They quit, they quit just acting like this. Oh, hi, how are you? They do that. I know it. I'm aware of it. And so when I would go in, I went into that shop and I was working. And this one guy who was a fellow believer, he came, he came up to me and he said, there is something different about you. And I said, well, thank you. And so we started talking, and he started reali- realizing what it was. It was different, and so I talked with him more. And then others, it gave me an open door with that community at that business because I wanted to live my life in such a way that it brought glory to God. And for some of you, you're going to have opportunities in your workplace to be able to share the love of God first by living the life before them And then secondly, as the doors open and God will open those right doors for you to be able to share your faith and somebody will give their life to Christ because of you. That may may mean that you have to choose not to do certain things because you know for them it may cause them to stumble or to fall. And so each and every one of us need to make sure that our lives are lived for the glory of God. Amen. I want to challenge you with that this morning. What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do? Is it going to go? Are you going to go to a meeting tomorrow? You've got some work tomorrow that you have to do. Maybe you have to go to a conference or go to school, and maybe it's something that you're not sure about maybe it's cleaning pens at the animal shelter I don't know what it is it could be so many different things but are uh, are you going to give god the glory by giving everything you have it's important to do one way or the other we all have to look to the lord and allow him to be glorified in our lives it could be that there's something that you've been planning on doing that you know absolutely that it will not glorify God if you do it. And in fact, it may do the opposite. Are you willing to ab- abandon that thing? Are you willing to let that thing go? Are you willing to set it aside so that those people around you, the Greeks around you, so to speak, the un- those who don't believe in Christ, so that they will recognize that you have something that they need. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you. And I want to challenge you that everything you do, work or school or or the marketplace, everything you do, you will do it for the glory of God because you will touch the lives of those people around you. God has a plan for your life. And he wants to do that work. Father, I pray that you would help us, that each and every one of us would glorify your name by our lives that our lifestyles would bring you praise that what we say what we do where we go how we live does have an impact lord that we wouldn't live this this life just any old way just willy-nilly randomly not caring just going through the motions saying hey oh here i am today i pray lord for every person here in this place that you would continue to minister to them the Lord, that you would also continue to minister through each and every one. You have called us as living witnesses of the one true Christ. Jesus, you have laid your life down on the cross and you took it up again so that we might have victory. But also, you've done that for us so that we might have freedom to be able to come into your presence but also that we may share this life with others around us, Father. Help us, Lord, as we live for you, that we would bring glory to your name in Jesus' name.